Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Copper and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me, as always, are my lovely co-hosts, Jonah Hickmore and Corey Travers. The Oilers coming off a rather uneventful week after a lackluster trade deadline and one singular game in which they shut out the Winnipeg Jets 3-0 on Hockey Night in Canada. How did you guys view this? <laughs> ah. was it all? Yeah, it was awesome. Quiet. 100%. Yeah, and like you said. all the games. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 1-0-0 like is, is not a sexy record, but hey, it's, we won 100% of the games this week. Didn't allow a goal this week. It's a quiet week. Yeah, you know, it's a quiet week, but Corey would be a lot less happy if we were 0-1-0, so, you know, sure. take it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was a good game. The Oilers have struggled um, coming off of long breaks, so it was nice to see them have a good all-around game. Um, Mike Smith, once again, we talk about him every episode. He gets, a, I think, his third shutout of the season, improves to 15-4-2, and two, I believe, having an absolutely crazy year. And I don't think he's going to ever regress like he usually no, does. No, no, do you not? I don't know. Every time I say he will regress, he gets even better. So Yeah, I don't that's know. fine. Maybe, keep telling him he's going to okay. regress, Preston. Yeah, I should just keep saying it. I jinxed it now. He's going to let in seven against the Canadians this week now. Um, well, well, you know, that's funny because uh, we were talking um, – earlier in the week offline about uh the oil kings goalie he let in six yesterday his worst game of the uh the season so far so it's just funny you're like oh i jinxed he's gonna let in seven and i'm just like you know not unheard of in goalie land (laughs) so (laughs) but i uh i definitely think it'll be good um we'll have a hopefully they have a good week you know upcoming mike smith stays on his game he can stay on his game right till the end of his contract as far as i'm concerned so i think i've been uh consistently like singing mike smith's praises through this whole time uh not saying that he wouldn't regress or anything but just like hey whoa this is awesome i don't know what's going on and so i'm just going to continue doing that in hopes that he'll continue playing like he does so let's all i feel like we're all doing kind of the same thing we've been doing all year with mike smith so if you're superstitious we're doing we're, we're continuing to do the same thing and he'll be fine or maybe yeah, I mean, we, we've gone through seven episodes of this podcast so far, including this one. And I feel like we've talked about him on just about all every single one. And it's with good merit. He's he's given the Oilers a chance to win every night. And he did just that against the Jets, shutting them out three nothing on a team with some pretty good scorers like Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers. Those aren't guys to scoff at when when it comes to putting pucks in the net. So for the Oilers to shut out a team like that, it's encouraging down the stretch, especially for. Uh, against a team that you're probably going to meet in the playoffs. They have a good record against the Jets, and it was encouraging. Another encouraging thing that came out of that game was Jesse Puliarvi scoring a beautiful goal off a beautiful pass from Connor McDavid in front of the net. Uh, I know some Edmonton media guys were hard on him this week, but uh, what's the ceiling for a player like this? I think in a regular year, he could easily top 20 goals on the line with McDavid. Yeah, for sure. And especially since like he's gotten very little power play time this year, the Oilers power play is, is so good. So if he over a full season took over the Shazon role and, uh, you know, got to be in front of the net, like for sure, 20 goals is, is not out of the question at all. I think he's already a very, very impactful player, like a, a first liner on a lot of teams, second liner uh, at worst, uh, which is which is fantastic. 
Um, but if he, he keeps up this level of play, I feel like he'll live up to his draft stock, which was, which was already very high. Um, I don't, I, I don't think we necessarily need to expect a big jump out of Pooley RV. Like he's already playing very, very well. The only place that he could kind of improve on drastically would be finishing and, and contributing a bit more in terms of like regular offensive numbers, goals and assists. I don't know if that's necessarily his game. I don't know if he'll ever be a super high point guy, but he plays a really good 200 foot game and playing on the line with McDavid, he's going to score some goals. He shoots a ton. I don't think he's a amazing finisher, but he get, he gives hey, himself so many looks that he will. Or, he'll get isn't that why we were going to pick up Patrick Line over the off season? Since his, yes, because he's his, the perfect complement. Um, his Line's worth is at an all time low, and we were going to try buying low instead of selling low. I think, and I mean, then it'll be great. He'll definitely get you know the mix on a line with McDavid and Puliyarvi is just like like uh, Corey said, the perfect compliment because you got a guy like Puliyarvi who disrupts in front of the net. I think better than any other Oilers forward, which is why it puzzles me why Chason is on that power play instead of Puliyarvi. I think he does a fantastic job fighting for position in front of the net, and because he cleans Oilers. up garbage too, right? Um, and then having Patrick Laine on there, who's just a pure finisher, and Connor McDavid, who is arguably the best passer in the league, other than Leon Draisaitl, who's still on the same team, it would just be fantastic to have both those guys there. Well, the one thing I do wonder is if we did get someone to compliment Pujarvi, whether it's Laine or not, is um, you might see a dip in his goals just because he's got an actual finisher there. But I think you'd see a, a complimentary like uptick in assists. Yeah. So, I mean, like his points would probably, like Corey's saying, easily go up, but they might be distributed differently um, depending on who he's playing with. If you get a, an actual uh, true finisher in there with him, you might get less goals and more assists, which is, I mean, for my money, fine. But, you know, we've got some hardcore uh, fans that are like goals, 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 you know, like without those 20 goals, like why would you be? Yeah, you can't have so, a goal without an assist, right? A primary yes, assist. A primary. Unassisted goal. <laughs> We're not talking. I, mean, about I don't really care what his numbers assist. are. Like, it's not like I'm a big, uh, you know, have Box yes, scores guy. In, like a, in like a fantasy league or anything like that. As long as he's helping the Oilers win, I'm happy with him, and I think he's already doing that quite a bit. Absolutely, I completely agree. Uh, the other big thing that the Oilers did this week just came out, like an hour before the recording of this podcast. They recalled Ryan McLeod from the AHL's Bakersfield Condors. He will be ready to practice with the Oilers and play with the Oilers potentially not this Monday, but the following Monday against the Winnipeg Jets. It threw 28 games with the Bakersfield Condors. He's gotten 14 goals, 14 assists for 28 points. And at the age of 21 years old, he is having a fantastic breakout season at the professional level. Uh, do you think he'll come into the lineup right away? And if so, where, where is he going to get time? I'd imagine he will just because... With, with, with how much of a hassle it is calling someone up from Bakersfield with them being in a different country and the quarantine and everything, you don't make a move like this just to do it. I feel like you, you make a move like this because you actually need the player to, to perform. Uh, so keeping that in mind, I would say the reason that McLeod was called up and not Marodi or Benson is because he plays center and the Oilers are looking for someone to fill in that fourth line center role. So I'd imagine slots into where shore has been playing a bunch maybe maybe Kara loses a little time as well um i mean obviously 
because he has to quarantine for a little bit, it's not as if uh, guys can, you know, improve their, their, their standing in the lineup a little bit before he actually gets inserted. So guys might have a couple good games and, and avoid getting demoted because, because they played well. But overall, I think there's no way you call up a guy like a, like a Ryan McLeod and don't actually use him. You see, uh, that's very optimistic, Corey, because I am hopeful that you don't call him up and don't use him. But I'm also 100% cognizant that we've had more talented players sitting on our taxi squad all year than we've been playing. So, um, I yeah, like I like Corey saying, I'm hoping that you're calling him up to put him at center in the fourth line, maybe playing up as high as the third line, depending on need and how he performs. Like if he does really well, I'd hope that you'd be flexible about where you play him. But at the same time, I'm... I don't know. I'm just doubtful. Like I want to see, I'll believe he plays when I start to see him in games, right? Just because I'm just so currently just burned out on the, the way that the Oilers have handled their young prospects. Right. So, uh, you know, I, we've had six episodes of Corey telling us why Evan Bouchard should be playing and he's not. So, uh, you know, Ryan McLeod should definitely be playing, but I won't, I'll be, cautiously surprised if he is and i'll be um you know not too disappointed if for some reason he gets up here and they've decided that that's actually not the direction they want to go maybe they're just going to give this other guy one more try to like not be as bad at his job as he has been just saying yeah uh i i think um the idea that popped into my head right away was a third line center role because i know uh, Ken Holland was shopping for a third line center at the trade deadline. If you listened to our last episode, you'd know he didn't get that done. So maybe he could be a etern- internal option for the others to slot in as a third line center. Hell, he'd be better than Kyle Turris has been all year long. He'd knock him out of the lineup and keep him out of the lineup if he performed even marginally good, right? And then I like to think then, about... I like Preston, to think if about, he was truly like your third line center, why didn't you call him up last week? Why wait? yeah. That's that's the, that's like the golden question, right? It, it was Ken Holland has done some weird things this year, and he hasn't done some things this year that he should have uh, a lot earlier. But uh, as I was saying there, I think a guy like Joachim Nygaard, who had a really good showing against the Jets, could be a perfect line mate for him on that third line. It gives it gives him some speed, some skill, and uh, uh, the potential for three scoring lines, right? It's not the sexiest third scoring line, but it still gives you the potential of something like that. we've covered this i'm all for like multiple lines that do good work like i would ideally love four lines that are doing good work but uh i don't know i'll settle for three happily so if the whole point was to bring mcleod up to you know shore up the third line ha 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 because you know shore is on the fourth line but um the then i'm i'm thrilled to see him get out there and play as long as um as long as it's not one of those situations where he makes one mistake and then he's on the bench and then he's back in Bakersfield. Cause then I think that's just an exercise in stupidity. Yeah. It would make no, it would Did make anyone else want to say that? Or is that kind of my area to just like, no, I think we all agree with, with that. No, that's hundred percent correct. Yeah. Right. You know, don't expect that you're going to get a polished NHL player, you know, when he clears quarantine. So if, if that's what tip it or, um, Oh, anyone else is looking for then they're going to be strongly disappointed i've um i've seen some over the last week you know 
people arguing with Matt about how some of our younger players aren't really doing well or they're making mistakes. Um, and yeah, like they're young players. That's what they're going to do. So yeah, if you're not you going to give them that space. If, if you, get, if you um, don't reward or if you punish young players for making the tiniest of mistakes, you get guys like Puli RV circa like two years ago where he's just completely down the dumps and leaves the team and is very hesitant to come back because of how much they botched the development. And that was the old um, regime here in Edmonton. And we definitely don't hope that Holland is a, just another one of those guys who talks a big game about development, but doesn't follow through. Um, speaking <laughs> well, evidence of McLeod, the McLeod, the McLeod call-up might have some other ramifications on the Oilers lineup. I saw it and I was immediately happy about it. But then I thought, wait a minute, does this mean that the Ryan Nugent Hopkins injury is a bit more long-term than initially expected? You know, he is a skilled centerman. We've been playing Gaten Haas as a second-line center. You know, that's not sustainable. So maybe he comes up and plays second-line center right away. That seems like a, a really big uh, expectation for a rookie, but it, it is suspect the timing of this call-up. So do you guys think this is... Uh, indication that Ryan Nugent Hopkins will be out longer than expected? I think it's a definite possibility. Um, I mean, apparently the, the, the Nugent Hopkins injury is, is a concussion. So you don't really know when he's going to come back from a concussion. I mean, it could be he's out one more game, two more games could be he's out two or three more weeks. I mean, or longer. So you don't, you don't really know. Obviously the fact that they're calling up a center uh, our center depth is pretty atrocious without Nugent Hopkins in the lineup, as long as we're playing dry sidle on the wing. Uh, so yeah, we, we don't have a lot there. It makes a lot of sense that if Nugent Hopkins isn't coming back right away, McLeod is a guy being called on to, to, to fill in the lineup. Um, obviously like optimistically, like hopefully Nugent Hopkins comes back and McLeod still gets to play. I think that's the best case scenario that we're all hoping for. Uh, because obviously I think we all think McLeod and as well as Marodi and Benson probably deserve a little NHL time with how well they play down in Bakersfield. But because the Oilers have been so reluctant to call up Bakersfield players, presumably because of the quarantine period, I think it is, you know, valid to assume that the Nugent Hopkins injury is, is playing a role here. Yeah. Yeah. And, we don't want it to be true because like we've said, uh, Nugent Hopkins is kind of integral to the, uh, you know, ability of this team to make a really strong push into the playoffs. Um, at the same time, the last thing any Oilers fans wants, you know, is for them to rush him back. So if having McLeod up is a signifier that Nugent Hopkins is, is more seriously hurt, that's unfortunate, but you know, Again, I would rather have McLeod up and trying to fill that role than um, them rushing Nugent Hopkins back and then him, you know, playing a couple games and then going back out on an injury because I think that would be even more disastrous to the team's um, momentum because then you're still calling people up from Bakersfield, but you're later in the season and you've got all those quarantine issues or you've got them twice, you know. So, you know, I'm hopeful that this isn't a, uh, this is a precautionary measure you know, that they don't know exactly when Nugent Hopkins is going to be back. So they figured we might as well call the our McLeod up and get it out of the way. And then, you know, if Hopkins, Nugent Hopkins is back in, in you know, 
a game or two games, that's great. You know, keep McLeod up to make sure that, you know, that that's still, everything's working. And like we said, you play him at second. You don't have to play him at second line center. You can play him at third line center or fourth line center. See, uh, play more sheltered minutes while you see how the rest of it shakes out. I don't think it's a bad idea. It is kind of worrisome because like Corey just said, depth at center is it's not a thing we're rocking out, you know, particularly well this year. Yeah, when, when Gaten Haas is your second line center, you can say that, yeah, center depth isn't that great at the moment. And that's not to not Gaten Haas. I think he's performed just fine there, but he is a bottom six forward and we shouldn't expect him to come into the top six and light the show on fire, right? Um, I think he he works best as a, a guy you can put kind of plug and play in that third C, fourth, fourth C position. All right. Absolutely. So yeah. how do we build a top six without Ryan Nugent Hopkins with the addition of Ryan McLeod? In my head, it seems obvious. Split McDavid and try saddle up, but in Dave Tippett's head, doesn't look like he's going to go that route. So are we going to be looking toward a dry saddle, McDavid, Pugliarvi, and then maybe Cahoon, McLeod, and Yamamoto? Is that what we're oh going to be seeing this week? That second line harkens to like wheelers of the past where you literally only had one really effective line. It just... Yeah, <laughs> that's a very small line too. I'm not one that's uh, huge on big players or what you have to be, have in your top six, but that's a very small second line going against some, some good competition. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a rough one. I think you probably do have to split up McDavid and Dreisaitl, keeping in mind that you always have both of them together as an option if you need them. So, yeah. I mean, they both play a ton. They're absolute horses. Uh, so you start every game with them split up for the time being, as long as Ryan Nugent Hopkins is out of the lineup, uh, especially until uh, McLeod comes up, but probably including then because you don't want to put too much pressure on McLeod either. And, uh, you know, if you need it in the third period, you need a couple goals, then McDavid and Drysaddle can take a couple shifts together because uh, that combination, as we all know, is super dangerous. I mean, we we dunk on Tippett for a lot of reasons, I, I feel. And because it's fun. <laughs> right, it is. I mean, number one being that it's fun. I mean, that's like numbers one through 15. But number 16, uh, if number – oh, if number 16 is playing – uh, McDavid and, and Drysdale together, it really shouldn't be because they are electric together. It's just that it does kill depth a little bit. But you you yeah. always need that in your back pocket in case you need a couple goals late in the game. I, I wouldn't hey, stay away from it. I thought we didn't dunk on Tippett for that. I thought we approved that earlier this year. No, yeah, we didn't. No, I Tentatively, said, if, we approved putting McDavid and Drysdale together to get offense going. <laughs> yes, but yeah, we exactly. had Nugent Hopkins still. And it's a little different when we don't have our third best forward or maybe fourth best forward. I don't know. I'd put Puliarvi in that conversation in the lineup. In the conversation, so. for sure. Well, and I mean, I think the other thing is um, it's different depending on who you're playing. I mean, if you really are playing a team like Winnipeg, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle will be a lot more effective together than if you're playing a team like Toronto, you know, where um, we talked about this last week, Winnipeg's defense is less than stellar. So you can generally get more goals um, more quickly, but Toronto's got more of a system, which is part of the reason why the others have not done as well against them. So you may want to like, depending on your, what your opponent's bringing to the table, you may want to adjust your lineup for that. 
So you may like see David and Drysdale starting together in some games, you know, and, and not in other games. I think um, from my from my from my perspective, Tippett's watchword right now has got to be flexibility. He can't be so set on any one action that he refuses to consider the other possibilities which, you know, we've never seen out of Boilers management before ever. So, you know, there's no need to worry. Um, so like, yeah, if with Nugent Hopkins out, if Hopkins is, Nugent Hopkins is out for a long time, I need to get him a shorter last name. Um, then you, you have to be flexible. Some games they may play together and some games they may not see a shift together, you know, depending on what's happening, who you're playing, what the rest of your team is doing. If you've, if you've called up other kids from Bakerfield, Field. It's like that's still an option you know you can still do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna be talking about that and a little I think, bit more i think it's the... also worth mentioning sorry good i i think it's also worth mentioning that like mcleod you know we're singing his praises praises marody and benson both have more points than mcleod he's the third highest scoring player on his own line like that line is an absolute juggernaut so there's two other options right there if we need a little forward depth that I think would work out pretty well. I'm not saying they're going to be absolute studs who you can play on, you know, from the AHL all the way to the second line or in the NHL, but they can probably play in an NHL roster. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be talking about that and a little bit more after this break. Stick around. We have a lot more to talk about. All right. And we're back. Um, we ended off that last segment talking about uh, Benson and Marodi and how they are actually the top two scorers on that line. And McLeod lies as the third highest scorer. So with that in mind, should we expect guys like uh, Cooper Marodi and Tyler Benson to make the jump to the roster this year, or maybe in the playoffs, even who knows? No, you can see it. Oh, we got two different should we expect opinions. It or, or should we, should we, should we expect want it? it? Do we want it is a different question, Corey. I do want it. I don't necessarily expect it. No. See? Yeah. I think it would be great. I think it it would be really helpful to the Oilers. But at the same time, I think it's been mentioned at least twice in this podcast that the Oilers have been very reluctant to pull people from Bakersfield. So I don't think we should expect it. Yeah. I'm actually a little surprised we're getting Ryan McLeod from Bakersfield. Yeah, I know. My first reaction. Pleasantly surprising. Go Oilers. Dan is broken. They did something that we wanted. Like, what's going on here? Um, I, yeah. I think in a normal year, we would have seen Cooper Marodi and Benson get some NHL games, but because of this quarantine period, it's, it's just hard to do it. The, the logistics of waiting a week for them to get into the lineup is just a lot more difficult than, than having them into, the, into practice and skating a day later, right? So um, sure. I would want it. Well, it's fantastic, but yeah. I mean, I still think that, this is my negative. I think that the Oilers need to be getting ready um, to potentially, you know, be fielding some of these concerns with their farm team being in a different country as we start next year, right? Like if they're starting, you know, September, October, November for a season, I think that the Oilers need to be careful in their, you know, selection of, of their starting lineup just because we may still have some of these concerns about cross-border travel and all of that. Like, there's no automatic reset button for coming out of this pandemic or God only knows everyone would have hit it like a million times already, you know? So, um, while I, I don't think, I don't expect the Oilers to call up Benson and Marodi. I think that they need to be, um, paying a lot of attention so that 
if they're starting next year in a similar situation, that they're not leaving some of their best talent in Bakersfield. Not that Bakersfield doesn't need good talent, but just come on. Why do I have to see like Devin Shore when I could be seeing Tyler Benson or Cooper Marody? Like exactly. Yeah. Nothing think, against Devin Shore, but I, I just yeah. don't think he's the best um, suited to the to the role that they've got him in, like in yeah. their system. Yeah, for sure. I think I think we're in the, in the majority here when we say that we want to see more of guys like Marody and Benson on the on the top club instead of uh, Devin Shore, who's again he's done fine. He hasn't been bad. He hasn't been good. He's been okay. Um, you can tell that think... this is the most um, stringent, you know, that Preston's ever gotten. Is you do fine. It was a fine week. You did okay. That means he's really quite week. disappointed with the performance. I mean, he's probably done better than Kyle Turris, who's a bigger name. So that, yeah. that's something. Yeah, but didn't they put Turris on waivers? Yeah, no. So... <laughs> I would hope that that's some consequences for doing horrible. Also, I want to know what Dave Tippett has against Tyler Ennis here. Like, I don't think he's played bad. I think he's actually been pretty all right, pretty good. Why aren't we Arguably top him? six forward on the Oilers, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think having well, him as a third liner is just a great spot for him. It makes you sense. You know, that, for... again, let me revi- remind you of the positions on logic and accountability yeah. that have previously been endorsed by this hockey club. Please review <laughs> these materials for like your we're answer. Talking, as to we're why. talking about uh, Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi. Where is Tyler Ennis? He, he's played some games. I think he's been fine. Anyways, move, switching gears here. Um, let's take a look at the road ahead for the Oilers. They are almost done this season. They have two more games against the Jets, two more t- against the Flames, four against the Canadians. And of course, with all the postponements and COVID concerns, we still have five against the Canucks. So what are we looking at here? The Oilers have two this week against the Canadians. They've only won one game against the Canadians. We need to get better against these Eastern teams. For sure. Not the I least mean, because they're the potential Ottawa, playoff matchups. Well, we take, we take Ottawa out of the conversation. We have a terrible record against both Toronto and Montreal, the two Eastern playoff teams who, if we were to get uh, Oilers and Jets playoff matchup. And if the Oilers would win that, they'd have to play one of them. So what, what, what do you guys think is the kryptonite for the Oilers over there? I mean, the kryptonite seems to be Montreal. I think they play terrible every time they play Montreal. I mean, they might've had one, I think, good win earlier in the season. They played well against Montreal, Montreal once. Yeah, we had a pretty nice shutout against them it, it was a, it was a quality it wasn't like uh oh we won but we got kind of lucky type win I, I think it was like a decent win but at the same time like we've played bad against them the vast majority of the games and yeah I think Montreal's they're they're a good squad they're not nearly as talented I wouldn't say as a Toronto or even up front as a as a Winnipeg but those are teams that the Oilers can kind of go big guns versus big guns against Ottawa or not Ottawa, um, definitely not Ottawa. Montreal kind of just outworks the Oilers, and they—I don't know—they're—they're they're definitely their kryptonite because they have a worse record and they look like the better team almost every time they play the Oilers. So it would be huge if one of the games this week the Oilers could actually assert a little dominance against Montreal and start to look like like the more talented team. Yeah, I think Montreal is kind of sneaky good, right? They don't have all that star power. And in fact, they've got, you know, what star power they do have, you know, has been quite 
how do I say this nicely? A few times I'm concerned about this, underperforming in this year, but um, they play a, a strong game as a team, right? And I think um, they're, they're more unique in this conference, the Scotiabank Northern Conference for doing that, for like playing a, a, a solid team game where Corey's talking to you about, you know, how Winnipeg and, and Toronto have flashy players and boy, do they ever, um, but not, you know, as, as great systems where, you know, I don't even know what Vancouver has anymore and Calgary's potentially on fire. Um, but Montreal's just, you know, it's not, we talked once about a player not being, Clefbaum not having like a huge ceiling, but not having, you know, a low floor. And I think that for me is Montreal. So they're not going to really, you know, suddenly be this amazing team with all these superstars that you're like, oh my God, I got to watch every one of their games. They're a highlight real team, but they're, they're sneaky good. And I think that um, the Oilers need to be sneaky better at playing yeah. them. Absolutely. Right? I think, I think the thing that Montreal has that a lot of teams in this division don't have is a balance throughout their lineup. Like they have a pretty solid uh, forward group, a pretty solid defensive group and carry prices in that. And when he's on, he's on. But uh, when he's not, they have Jake Allen, who has played pretty well this year. Well, they but, uh, Montreal just called up a goalie, I thought. As oh, well. really? I am yeah. not in tune with the news over I Montreal. I think they did. I think someone on Twitter um, retweeted it onto my Twitter timeline because it's, it's a weird place to be, my Twitter timeline. But I think that they called up one of their AHL goalies. Well, And I think well, maybe some... they might be one of the lucky few, like uh, Winnipeg, who they don't have to quarantine their AHL oh man isn't that the they dream have for the right now to have a like AHL the, affiliate in canada so we can call them up whenever because right? montreal's ahl affiliate is in laval so yes. mm-hmm. that, that, that's something Corey, are, am, I, am, I, am i forcing Corey to like phone look up something is it, <laughs> I, I was yeah i was looking up who it is i'm just i'm terrible at, at, at please everyone right there please everyone note this on your cover and blue sports cast uh calendars that this is a time where i potentially had an actual hockey insight that <laughs> i mean you're, you're absolutely right um and it's, it's <laughs> goaltending. i already said i'm the least ex- like you can find anyone off the street knows more about goaltending than me so yeah <laughs> but shona knows way more about goaltending oh, yeah. much more than either of us you know my favorite phrase i won't utter it yeah. but uh I just, I think goalies. It's not are, voodoo, Preston. It's a complete crap, man. I'd look at Bobrovsky. Adjacent. He was a Vesna winner one year, and next year he was like crap. And then the next year after that, he was a Vesna winner again. I just don't know what goalies. Yeah, that's because goalies go hot and cold. It's just a goalie thing. <laughs> they just, they, I, I just don't like talking about goalies because I'm usually wrong. <laughs> Anyways, so, so yeah, am we, I, but I still love it. <laughs> so we got four more games against the Canadians. Hopefully, the Oilers can. Um, that trend of losing and just looking like crap against them they also got two more you know, against the winnipeg jets um, baby steps preston can we stop looking like crap and then we'll start winning yes exactly <laughs> um, we got two more against the winnipeg jets who as we've discussed is the most likely playoff matchup for the oilers and they've looked pretty good against them and i'll accredit it to what you guys have said is that they play a run and gun game similar to the Oilers, and when you run a gun against Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl well the Dreisaitl and McDavid combo is probably going to win that. Um, we also have two more against the Calgary Flames, who we've had some success against. We have a winning record against the Flames, but that last five, that last five nothing loss against them 
stung quite a bit. So um, what do you guys think about that? Do you think we can do a two-game sweep with them or are the Flames finding new life? I can't Better not be. The Flames at all. I mean, they're I th- I've, I've thought the entire season they're a pretty good team, like a team that the Oilers should not by any means take as an easy win. And yes, you yes, also say just, this about Ottawa. I, yeah, we do. I said this about everyone, to be fair. Um, Ottawa, we don't play anymore. So, yes, they were <laughs> an easy win for us. Um, but, yeah, no, the Flames are better than their record indicates, but they put themselves so far behind the eight ball that it's not going to end up mattering, it looks like. Uh, that doesn't mean that they can't still beat us a couple more times, which sucks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, whatever. I like the other chances against them. Yeah, yeah I know. think that there, there should be, you know, some rebound. No one likes getting embarrassed by your traditional rival. So I hope they take at least one of those games. You know, I, I for me, the second of those games, it really depend on a lot of things, which includes all these Canucks games, like where in the rescheduling all these Canucks games um fall right yeah because if you're playing the the flames and you've been you're playing three and four then i might not expect you to do as well if they're you know so a lot of a lot of um i know that you know the nhl has rescheduled all the connects games but i firmly hold that some of those will be rescheduled again because some of them are starting what the 19th or the 20th of april uh, and- yeah, I believe the Canucks are in action as we speak. They're playing, yeah, they're one period through their return against Toronto. Toronto's currently winning that one, one nothing. So, so yeah, yeah, we'll see if Vancouver, you know, doesn't end up back in the COVID bubble. Yeah. But, so we'll see how that goes with scheduling. But I would think that they would get at least one more win against the Flames. Yeah, I think I think hoping for one more win is a reasonable expectation. Calgary has caught fire. No pun intended there. Um, in the last few games, they beat the others 5-0. They beat the Maple Leafs 3-2 in overtime. And then they beat the Canadians 4-1. But their last game, as the recording of this podcast, was a 2-1 loss to the Canadians. And they're quite a ways away in the standings. I believe they're at 45 points. No, they're at 41 points. So even worse than I thought they were at. So I don't think they're a threat to catch the Oilers anytime soon here. Well, I mean, uh, the only team that's been mathematically eliminated now is Buffalo, right? Is there so, mathematically limited teams right now? Or are we in that? Yeah, uh, Buffalo is season? mathematically eliminated. They will miss the playoffs for the 10th consecutive season. Hey, something Oilers that, fans know all about. Is that worse than us? Is that worse than our decade of darkness? No, I think it's about the same. Ah, I mean, if they so miss again next year, they might. Through 2016, so it'd be the same. 2016-17. Okay. Well, I never, I, I, I like Buffalo, but I want them to take that from us. I don't want that record anymore. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Just we, we touched on uh, this a little bit just, just now. We have uh, a quite a bit of games against the, the Vancouver Canucks. At the end of the season, I believe we have like four or five in a row. And we do have five against the Canucks on the schedule. So, like you said, I don't think these games are set in stone by any means. I think one more shutdown will be the end of their season, especially if you listen to their players. Their players are irate with it, with how this, the situation has been held or uh, managed by the league and the team. So I think if, yeah, if it's not the league that shuts it down, it's, it's the players that will shut this down. I mean, like, kudos to the Vancouver Connects players for going out and saying that. Like, not in the least because it's stuff that I personally think that the league should have thought of, you know, which we all know. 
you know, around these kind of things. So um, I'm really, you know, I'm really hoping that the Canucks stay safe and stay healthy and, and that we don't have to go back to COVID protocols. But I mean, I think if they do see some, hopefully some pushback around it, we're already starting to see it, you know? Yeah. So I don't like, I've said, like Preston says, like Corey nods along too. I don't think that those last five Canucks games are set in stone. And I hope that they don't all come as like a four and five or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you, you can only delay these games for so long before it really disrupts the playoff schedule. Right. Like you can't have these games move into June. That's just ridiculous. Right. Well, so something already, has to give. They're already scheduled to the 19th of May. Yeah. So they've got very little wiggle room left. Right. They're, they're up against the wall here uh, in terms of postponing and rescheduling games. It, it, the, the 19th, any game after that is just ridiculous to shut the season down, find a way to distribute the points or just go on points percentage. As Corey has said before, it just seems like the obvious easiest solution to solve this problem and limit the risk of, of anyone else getting these variants. Yeah. It just makes so much sense. I mean, why, especially in the North division where the playoff teams are going to look pretty clear in by mid-May. Like yeah. why, why prolong the season just to have a team that's had a ton of COVID issues fulfill their full schedule. I mean, it's silly. Like just let's get the playoffs under underway at that point. Yeah. As, well, and I mean, does that also, that would impact the other three divisions, right? They're either going to play their playoffs before the North division and sit and end up sitting waiting, or they're going to, be delayed before they get to playoffs. So I, I really don't think it's, uh, you know, I guess we'll see if we get there. Canucks could go on a heater, but I, if it's not going to impact the playoff standings, I don't think that it's as horrible as it sounds, sounds to me. I don't think it's worth putting everybody's, you know, whole postseason. You know, yeah, and I think if these games, games, if these games were um, just scrapped altogether, and the, the Vancouver season came to an end, the team that'd be most adversely affected by this are the Vancouver Canucks. I think uh, I don't think the Flames have that many games against them, and they're really the only team chasing the playoff race right now. I mean, they have 41 points right now, and they're chasing the Canadians with 47. So even then, it's a long shot that they even make it. Um, so. I just don't think anyone's in real harm here. Like we said, I think the playoff picture here in the North will be determined. And I think it's already basically set in stone with the Leafs, Jets, Oilers, and Canadians. So it's, it makes no sense that they, they try to get the Canucks to play these just for the, the simple fact of fulfilling their, their 56 game uh, schedule. For sure. All right. So, in our last little segment here, we're going to take a look to the week ahead. As we mentioned, the Oilers play the Montreal Canadiens on Monday and Wednesday at home. This is the Oilers' first home game since April 2nd. Of course, COVID postponements has uh, prevented the Oilers from playing a few at home against Vancouver. Um, we talked a little bit about what we'd like to see the Oilers do against the Montreal Canadiens, but what are we looking for this week? Where, do we think we can get some home wins finally? You know... It's weird, but I actually think home games mean less in a COVID season than they do in a normal season. Yeah, like a lot less. I think they mean hardly anything. Yeah, they're basically all neutral site games. Yeah, I think I. So for for me, it's like, do I do we need home wins? No, we just need wins. Just win. I don't care if you win here. I don't care if you win in the Bell Center in Montreal. I don't care if you win in the MTS Center in in uh, uh, Winnipeg. You know. 
just get some wins. So. I, I think yeah. the biggest thing is, is just familiarity, being able to be at home, uh, maybe with your family, instead of going from hotel to hotel. Oh, to well, plane trip you know, plane families trip are COVID concerns. So yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, like Preston said, like rest is probably the biggest issue where like a, a prolonged home stand, at least you're not traveling between cities every game. So you're not putting that much stress, extra stress on your body. Uh, in addition to the games you're playing. So it, it might would, just allow you to rest a little bit and, and be I would like to point out that the Oilers' schedule lately has been extremely taxing and oh, obviously has crazy. no rest built into it. <laughs> been a lot of rest, that's fair. Oh, yeah, there's been a lot of rest, but there's also been a lot of travel here. Like, it's insane. Um, with how many no, and I, I, I do, but games. I do think that, you know, there's there's benefits to getting the travel out of the way farther away from the playoffs, right? Yeah. For sure. So yep, if sure. you're going to play, if you're going to end up playing a whole bunch of away games or you're going to end up playing a whole bunch of home games, neutral sites, you might as well play your home games before you go into the playoffs, right? Try yeah. to finish as strongly as possible. Absolutely. So what are we saying on this week's game? Are we going to do it again? 2-0? No, no you yeah, guys are, and I'm going to say 1-1. One one. Yeah, 2-0. 2-0. Okay, 2-0 again. Me and Corey going cool. with the, the straight sweep of the weekend, Shona – um, being the realistic one and let's let's be honest here that's but you know what i will say one and one and that is me being optimistic because they are playing the canadians both times so i don't know i, I would honestly I... just love like one convincing win against the habs even if they lost the other one that's just to show that they're not okay you know i'll i'll, I'll scale back inferior. i'll scale back the two and oh i'll go but they go one oh and one they get three points not quite two wins they win the first game in a shootout and then they win the second game 10 nothing. There we go. <laughs> Corey, we go. setting there's, things up. There's a, there's a good compromise. I think Shona can get behind that. No, I can't. Realistic. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. We, as always, we end with a disagreement. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Copper and Blue podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.